0: You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. If You'll take your Bibles. I want you to turn to John chapter 10, Gospel of John chapter 10. It's kind of the launching pad for this series that we're doing right now called Worried. And we're dealing with this subject of worry. And the title of the message today is controlling what cannot be controlled. You see a lot of times we worry about things that in all honesty are outside of our control. There's nothing that we can do about them. And all God's people said, Amen. This past week I was in uh, I was in Tampa. I'd gone down there to do a program with uh, about the book that I've written called Killing the Church and uh, the failure to confront. It deals with confrontation. And while I was down there doing this 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 TV program, I was spending the night in a hotel, and the next morning I got up. I wasn't feeling that great. I have kind of had the old crud, so I thought, well, I'll just go down there and get on a treadmill and run. So I got on this treadmill, and I was running, but there's an indoor pool, so the exercise place is actually looking at the pool. And there was a man and a woman, and there were two little boys, and they were twin boys. They looked exactly alike. In fact, I told Ledge and Alicia they looked exactly like my grandson Caleb, only at about three years of age. Just absolutely beautiful boys and big old beautiful eyes. And, and, and it was just interesting to watch these children because they were getting a swimming lesson. And undoubtedly, this one that was doing it was a professional. She was very good at it. But there was something that I noted about these two boys. Though they looked exactly alike and you, I could, I, there was no way I could tell them apart. Though they looked exactly alike, first of all, the dad knew exactly who one was from the other. I mean, he knew that. But there was another quality about these two boys. One boy, he was just as brave. I mean, you had to watch that little sucker because, man, he would just bail off in that water in a minute. Man, he was brave as no teller. What if she said, come off, the, you know, come off the side of the pool and come toward this woman who was doing the lesson. I mean, man, he would just put his head down and he would go. And sometimes she would actually hold his head down, push him under the water, and then push him toward the side, getting him used to water, helping him to understand undoubtedly if he fell in how to get out. The other little boy, who looked exactly like his brother, was much more timid, much more fearful. He had to be handled differently. In fact, I watched the dad. The dad was far more tender with him. He, he seemed to understand where the boy was coming from. He was much more there in the presence. And, and, and though the one boy would come up and he just would be, ladle, man, his eyes were just bright. Like I say, he looked just like Caleb coming out of the water to me. So it just tendered my heart. The other little boy, you could see fear in his face, and you watched as the teacher and the dad, and the mom was down on the other end down there, but you watched as they just naturally just encouraged and strengthened and embraced and helped that boy come to terms with his fear. You see, that little boy was afraid, and last Sunday, we began a series called Worried, and Basically, what we said is that in our lives, sometimes we have anxiety, we have fear, we have worry, and if it stays long enough, it actually will move us into a point of just depression. We deal with depression. Let me say this, God doesn't want you to live that way. And if you look at John chapter 10, verse 10, are you there yet? Say amen. Are you there? Let's say it again. Are you there yet? Amen. Amen. In John chapter 10, verse 10, I believe this sums up in a lot of ways this spiritual life that we're called to live. Because Jesus says here, He says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. Now, look this way. I want to listen. There's no way if you have a problem with anxiety or worry, there is no way that it's going to be solved sitting in one sermon. You need to go back and you need to, if you're battling in this area, you need to go back and you need to listen to last week's message again and again and again and again. You listen to it as long as you need to. You go to those scriptures that we went to last week and you begin to understand and grasp what God wants to do in your life. Because hear me, as we said last week, one of the primary tools of our enemy, the devil, Diabolos, Satan, one of his primary tools is is worry, he uses fear, unjustified fear, he uses worry, he uses anxiety, he uses all of these things to move us to a point of depression where we're not able to live the full and abundant life. It is a tool of the enemy, and it's probably the most effective tool that he has. It's the most worn tool in his arsenal. So Jesus is telling us, he's telling his disciples, he says, listen, your enemy, your enemy, your enemy, your enemy, your enemy, Satan, your enemy, the devil, he comes to do this. He comes to kill, he comes to steal, and he comes to destroy. That's what he's about. That's what he's trying to do in your life. Now look what Jesus goes on to say, though. He goes on to say, I have come that they may have what? Let's say it together, that they may have life and that they may have it to the full in the NIV or the abundant life. But the truth is, is that so often in our life, if we're not careful, worry can begin to steal or deprive us of the fullness and the abundance-ness of the life that Christ is offering. So first of all, I want you to write this down. And while you, well, I tell you what, take a left and go to Matthew chapter 6. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 6. Because Jesus speaks about this in Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 25. He speaks about this thing of, uh, of, uh, of worry. And the first point of this sermon, first of all, the title of the sermon, listen to it again, controlling what cannot be controlled. You see, much of what you and I worry about, what we get anxious about, are things that are outside of our control. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You see, that's just the truth. So in Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 25, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus deals with this, arse- with this weapon in, the, in our enemy's arsenal, this thing of worry. Now, listen, again, we said last week, worry is not a spiritual gift, worry is a sin. So, in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not what? Do not worry. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, they don't reap, they don't stow, in, stow away in barns, they, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. How much more valuable. Are you, are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Let's keep reading. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that Solomon, in all of his splendor, was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes... Now look at this. If that is how God clothes... The grass of the fields which are here today and tomorrow's, thrown into the fire, He, how will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You see, you and I are either walking by fear or we're walking by faith. Now he goes on to say, verse 31, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, that is the people of the world, that's the non-believer, they run after all these things. Your heavenly Father, now look this way. He says here, he makes it clear. Your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need. Isn't that great? You see it? Look at verse 32. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, Now, that's the problem right there, isn't it? We've got our priorities wrong. A lot of us are seeking the things of the world. That's why we're so worried about it. But he says here, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about what? Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I almost think Jesus said that with humor. Now, first of all, number one, much of what you and I worry about is the future or things that are outside our control. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He uses the future tense here. In fact, in verse 34, let's just read it again. He says here, therefore, do not worry about what? Do not worry about tomorrow. You see, I want you to listen to this statement. Worry comes from our attempts to control situations and even people that are outside of our control. Do you agree? Think about it again. Let me me repeat it. Worry comes from our attempts to control situations or people who are outside of our control. Let me give you an example. You're a parent or you're a grandparent. You've got a child or a, a grandchild. They're living in rebellion. Now, the reality is they're breaking your heart, yet you have no control over that. You may be here today and you're married to somebody. You have a spouse and you're here alone. You're right now. You're sitting here by yourself and your spouse is breaking your heart and the reality is there's no way to control them. They're living in rebellion. They are, They, you know, and though you love them, in reality you want to control them and you want to control these people and cause them to make good decisions in their life. The truth of the matter is that you and I cannot. If we try to do that, we make matters worse. You see, the only one that I have control over, you looking this way? The only one that I have control over is who? It's me. I can't control my spouse. I can't control my children, my grandchildren. Hey, listen, I can't control you. You see, a lot of times people in this room, you bring great grief and great heartache to your pastor. You know the Bible says in Hebrews, it says to obey them that have the rule over you, for they must give an account for your soul, and so may they do it with joy. Do you know that one day I'm going to stand before God as your pastor and give account for my leadership, my preaching, my spiritual guidance in your life? And for some of you, it's going to be very difficult because you grieve the heart of your pastor, your rebellious members. And some of you listening on the website, the reality is is that you're not in church today because you're in rebellion against God. You see, you and I have to understand something that worry sometimes comes in our life because we are trying to control the lives of the people that we love, and we cannot do that. We are worrying about something that we absolutely, positively have no control over. Now let me give you a question here, and this is a question that people ask. Well, let me give you a question and you think about it. Is your well-being, now I want you to listen, put your pew belts on and get your spiritual antennas up real high because I want you to hear this. This is going to be life-changing to you. Is your spiritual well-being, is your well-being, regardless, is your well-being contingent upon someone or something being fixed? In other words, this is the prayer you pray. God, I, I would just be doing so much better if you would fix this situation or fix this person. God, if you could just work this out for me, then I would be, listen, God, you and I would be all right and things would be so much better. And God, I, I really believe that I could do a lot better if you could, is your well-being contingent upon someone or something being fixed? You know what Paul said in Philippians four twelve. Paul said this, I have learned in whatever state I am in therewith to be content. He said, I know how to be abased, I know how to abound. But you see, there's some of us in this room, the reality is, is that much of our worry comes from the fact that there are situations, there are circumstances, there are people that we love, we can't seem to fix, and because of that, it's very clearly, we're always saying, God, if you would just... Fix this situation that I'm in, or fix this person, then I would be all right. Let me give you a quote. Think about this. Situations and circumstances must not and cannot affect the inner sanctuary of our soul, that private place of worship and trust, that quiet place deep within our spirit. What do you mean? It goes on to say, that place in your soul where your faith resides. You know what the Bible says about a a man and a woman's marriage bed? It said it is to be kept pure and undefiled in other words what the bible says is you don't need pornography you don't need this you don't need that you don't need anything in that marriage bed in that room there it's a very sacred area it's the deepest level of intimacy between a man and a woman do you know that you as the bride of christ also have that same room between you and god Do you know there's a place deep within your spirit, within your soul, a private place of worship, a private place of trust, a quiet place that you and I go to where we reside in the very presence of God and it is that place of faith where God will look at you and I deep down in the depth of our soul and he will whisper these words. You listening? Trust me. I mean, the job's going wrong, a spouse, is something's going wrong, a child's in rebellion, you've got some real problems, you're saying, God, I don't know what I'm going to do, this is just overwhelming me, I'm worrying, I'm filled with anxiety, I'm filled with depression, God, I'm just getting deeper and deeper and deeper into this hole. You see, what happens is, is that you have allowed the enemy to come into that inner sanctuary, The enemy now is literally camped out in your bedroom where you're supposed to be sleeping with Jesus. And he brings something in there that you and I sometimes feel helpless as if we cannot handle it. And it's worry, it's fear, it's anxiety which leads to depression. Jesus said, listen, you you can't control nobody but you. So stop trying. Quit it. You see, we worry about situations, we worry about circumstances, we worry about people, and we say, God, but I love them. Do you love them more than God loves them? Absolutely not. You see, this is a, there's a life-giving question here. I wrote it down. Do you trust Jesus with the person or the situation or whatever is weighing on your heart and stilling your joy right now? Did you hear that? Say amen. Do you trust Jesus with the person or the situation or whatever may be weighing on your heart right now? And if not, your enemy knows that. Now, I need you to get your spiritual antennas up real high and don't be distracted by anything else because this is a life-changing moment for you spiritually and for me. Your enemy knows that your well-being even spiritually, is contingent upon someone or something being fixed. Do you hear what I just said there? If you say... I'm worried about this person. I'm worried about this situation. I don't have any peace. And, and, and the enemy now is getting deep within your soul and he's bringing a measure of fear, worry, and anxiety because, see, you're either walking by faith or you're walking by fear. Now you're trying to control this person. You say, but I love them. Do you love them more than God does? So, so here you are, you're filled with worry and anxiety and fretting, and, you, and you're even voicing this. Listen, your enemy hears that. You're voicing this statement. God, if you would just fix this situation, work this out, fix this person that I love so much, then I would be all right. And the enemy's going, what'd they say? Oh. Now I want you to stay with me here because this is critical. Once your enemy knows that your well-being is contingent upon someone or something, listen to this. Think with me. I want to give you some principles here because you and I need to hear this. I say tererai. In the Shona language of the African people, listen closely. Principle number one. If you're worrying and fretting and anxiety and depression is coming because you want somebody fixed or some situation changed, and once your enemy knows that, listen, principle number one, you put the enemy's crosshairs on the person or the situation that you refuse to trust God with. Wow. You know what I ought to do right, right now? I ought to close my Bible, put my notes away, and walk out there, get in my truck, and go home so that you will never forget that last statement. You'll sit here and finally you'll figure out, well, I guess we need to have an invitation. I don't know what we do now. I don't know what he said, but the last thing he said, he must have really really been troubled by it. You see, I'm preaching to me too. You see, some of us need to realize that when you say, God, this situation, that circumstance, that person, if you fix them, then I'm going to be all right. Your enemy hears that. In essence, you put the enemy's crosshairs on that person or that situation. Now listen to this. You ref- because you refuse, and I refuse to trust God with that person or situation. If your enemy, listen to this, if your enemy knows your joy, your faith, your trust is contingent upon a person or a situation being fixed, he will unleash the forces of hell against that person or that situation. He will do all within his power to ensure that that person never repents, never comes back. That situation never turns around because you know what? You don't trust God enough to give it over to him. And your enemy knows that. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Just take a right, real quickly. Go over to Ephesians chapter 6. I want you to see this. Jesus said we're to be as shrewd as a serpent. I think what he was saying is you better, out, you better be smarter than your enemy. And you can't be smart in your own strength. You need the power of the word of God. And right now you need to be listening. Some of you in this room desperately need to be listening because you are in bondage to worry. You're worrying. You're trying to control situations and people you have no control over. Some of you young parents, you better wake up and sit on high, high alert right now because you have no idea what it will be like when your kids get to be teenagers. The world that you grew up in, even as a young parent, is drastically different from what your children are growing up in now. But in in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10, watch what Paul says. Reggie did a great job of walking us through this passage. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Now watch this, so that you can take your stand against the devil's what? Against his schemes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, look back again at verse 11. You see it? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against what? Against the devil's schemes. And he uses the word there, "methodia." We get our word Method. What he's talking about here is the cunning deceit, the craftiness, the trickery of our enemy, the devil. You see, once the enemy knows that you're walking by fear concerning any situation, any person, any circumstance, once the enemy knows that, listen, he's going to unleash everything he has to bring confusion in that area. I hope I'm making sense. You see, what is critical is that now you and I have given our enemy a power over our lives that he should not have. We know that he's trying to keep us from living the abundant life. We know that he's trying to keep us from living the full life. But we have loaded his weapon against us now. We've given him ammunition to fire back at us. Listen to this quote right here. here. Every place in your life that you operate on fear rather than faith, your enemy will capitalize on. Some of you, listen, it's your health. You worry and you fret and you're filled with anxiety, a headache's a brain tumor, chest pain's a heart attack. You just live your life that way. You got a pain in your side, undoubtedly I got a tumor on my kidney. You know, that's just the way you live your life. That's the way you live your life. And you know it and it's the truth. Your health, you're preoccupied with your health. Has it ever occurred to you that you've just simply said, God... Uh, this, is your, this is the way you look at it. God, if you'd just fix my health, if you'd just make me more healthy, God, if you just help me to lose some weight, God, if you just make me feel better, that, then God, you and I would be in such better, we'd be in such better relationships. And I'd be able to do such, so much more for you, God, if you'd just fix me physically. The enemy goes, what'd he say? Man, now he's declared war. Hey, who's in your head now telling you the headache's a brain tumor? Who's in your head now telling you chest pains is a heart attack? Who's in your head now? And listen, you're not taking every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ. You're now consumed with your health because you're battling an enemy who understands that you walk by fear when it comes to your health rather than by faith. Does that make sense? Say amen. Amen. You see, it's surrendering your health, surrendering your marriage, surrendering your children, surrendering your job, surrendering your future, and just saying, God, it's in your hands. Principle number two listen. If your prayer is, God, if you fix this person or this situation, then I will be all right. What you're saying is my joy, a spiritual gift, which Paul, which Paul talks about in Galatians 5:22 through 26, my joy, which comes from the Holy Spirit, is now conditional and contingent upon this or that. Listen, if you live this way, you will spend your life. Are you listening? Say amen. If you live this way, you will spend your life with no joy. That's what's wrong with some of you. You look like you're sucking on lemons. I'm talking to people on the website. I'm not talking to you they're driving along listening to this if you live this way you listen to this you will spend this is a life changing moment for many of you in this room if you live this way you will spend your life exchanging one person and one situation for another down the road in other words, if this is spiritually the way you live your life, God, if you just fix this person, God, if you'll just straighten out this relationship, God, if you'll, just, if you'll just fix this situation, God, if you'll just give me this job, God, if you'll just let things work better at the job I'm in, God, if you'll just let me get into this educational pursuit that I want to go in. And, and God, uh, because God, I'm just filled with worry, I'm filled with fear, I, I, I'm, j- I'm just, uh, God, if you could just fix this situation, then I'd be all right. When God fixes that situation, guess what happens? You want to guess? What do you think happens? Another situation, another person, something else to be fixed. You see, you spend your life, and I will spend my life, spiritually, constantly just exchanging a person or a situation over and over again. And look this way. You're a parent sitting here, you're a young parent, or you're dealing with a rebellious child, or you're, you're a grandparent, you're watching your child deal with a rebellious child, and you're thinking, but you don't understand, you don't know, I know exactly what you're going through. It is excruciatingly difficult to continually turn those that we love over to Christ. Why? Because we want to control, we want to hang on. We think God somehow needs our help. Principle number three, your enemy will always attack God's sovereignty, God's goodness, God's purpose, God's plan for the life you're worried about. That's what's going to happen. Let me give you an example. Your pastor's wife, she was married at 16. She was married to a guy that abused her. She was married to a guy that dealt in drugs. There were times that literally in some ways they were running from the law. She ends up in Texas where her first husband is killed. He's murdered. He's run down. He's hit. She believed probably maybe because he was running with money that he had taken from drug dealers. Her dad, Charlie Tucker, her dad, Mr. Charlie, he and his brother went to get her in Texas. And I need everybody quiet. Her dad went to get her. She wouldn't go home. She wouldn't leave. She wouldn't leave her first husband. She wouldn't leave the life that she was living. And I believe he called her kitten. And I believe that it broke Mr. Charlie's heart when he left her there in Texas. He had done everything that he could. He couldn't do anymore. And he went back home. Her dad looked a lot like John Wayne to me. Vicky. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but Mr. Charlie looked a lot like, he was the same size, same walk to me. He looked so much like John Wayne. And one of the saddest days of his life was when he left Texas and he came home and he left his daughter there because she was in a bad situation. You listening, are you listening, parent? Young parent, are you listening? You'll need this down the road. He had to let go and let God have his way in her life. And I'm going to tell you what God was doing. God was preparing her, molding her, making her. And listen, God was breaking her. Ultimately, what would happen not long after that, Her first husband was killed, hit and run. Um, She went through great sorrow, great tragedy, great heartache. She went through a very tough life. But God was in the process of making who you see in this room today. You see, there's a principle here. There's a fourth principle. If you don't let go of something or someone then your problem is, again, you don't trust God and your enemy will capitalize on it. Fifth principle. We get in the way of God's law. Well, what is God's law? And I know I've got to close in a moment, but if you're at Ephesians, just take a few pages back and look at at Galatians. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. Are you there? Young parent, are you there? Say amen, young parents. That's what I figured. In Galatians 6, beginning at verse 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap. Principle, you listening? Principle number five, we get in the way of God's law of sowing and reaping. Now, I've said this before, and let me say it again. You cannot reap somebody else's crop. It doesn't matter how much you love them, how much you care about them, how much you you just simply say, oh, God, but I don't want them to be hurt. You know what? Adrian Rogers said, I'd rather say the truth that hurts and heals than a lie that destroys and kills, You see, what God may be saying to you about a situation or about a circumstance is simply, you cannot reap somebody you love's crop, no matter how much you love them. That needs to be tattooed tattooed on your forehead. Of course, get a henna tattoo so it will eventually come off. You may be kind of the talk for a while. You see, this is God's process of bringing the one you love to repentance. Repentance. If you've got a rebellious child, you've got a rebellious spouse, you've got a rebellious grandchild, or you've got a dear friend and they're rebellious and they're just living an open rebellion to God. And, and, and listen, what God is going to do is God is going to allow them to make bad choices to, to literally sow seed. And as they sow seed, that crop begins to come in and that crop begins to overwhelm them. And what God is doing is God is in the process of turning them back and bringing them to repentance. But guess what happens? You and I say, but God, we love them so much. Oh, God, please don't do that. And we jump up there and we reap their crop. We take their consequences. We're belling them out of everything. I tell the story, and we'll close in a moment, but I tell the story. I don't even know how long I've gone, but I, 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 I tell the story the little boy. You remember he had this boat? I even have this in the book. He had his little boat, and Boat had kind of, the wind had caught it and pulled it away from the shore there of the lake that he was at. And a businessman was coming through, walking through there, a place like Central Park. And he saw the little boy crying and realized the boy's boat had gotten away from him. And he said, he said, son, he said, he said, uh, he said, I, I, let, let me he get down there where the boy was at. And he said, son, I'll help you. He picked up a handful of big, large, kind of heavy rocks and, he began to throw those rocks. Well, the boy began to scream and holler and began to cry even more. He said God, He began to say to the man, he "Said sir, you're gonna, you're gonna sink my boat." He said, "Son, just trust me, just trust me." And he kept throwing those rocks and throwing those rocks on the other side of the boat. And eventually, the waves and the disturbance of that water began to bring that boat back into the hand of the one who owned it. Let me tell you what some of you are doing. You love people so much that what you keep doing, God's throwing rocks and you're up there doing this, getting in the way. God, please don't do that. God, please don't do that. God, I love this person so much. The hardest thing in the world is to allow God to throw rocks into the life of those people that you love because he's trying to bring them back to repentance and some of you keep getting in the way and because you keep getting in the way, nothing never changes. You unleash hell against that person because you don't trust God and you don't love them more than God loves them. There's not a parent in this room that even remotely comes close to loving a child more than God loves you. God cares about you. And when you and I remove the consequences, when we begin to jump out there and begin to, and I know you say this is hard. Listen, I know it's hard. And for you with young children, you'll learn as the years go by that it's very hard sometimes to step back and allow God to do what God needs to do. Well, what do I do? I can't help it. Number one, give that person or that situation completely and totally in the hand of God. Every day, every hour, every minute, constantly. If you need to come to this altar, you come to this altar every single Sunday. You bow at this altar and you say, it doesn't matter if the congregation goes, well, there he goes again. There she is again. I know why she's down there. I know why. And let me tell you this much. If you've got a situation or a person like that in your life that's causing that kind of heartache, let me tell you what you do. You grab godly men and women, you pull them around you, and you say, would you go to the altar and pray with me? Where two or three agree on something carries a great weight in the kingdom of God. Number one, give that person of that situation totally, completely. Number two, repeat this. My faith is not contingent, my spiritual joy, my walk with Christ, is not contingent on anyone or anything being fixed or changed. That has to be your prayer. You have to say that. That's what God has been waiting on you to say. God... I don't know what you're doing in the life of my child. God, I don't know what you're doing in the life of my grandchild. God, I don't know what you're doing in the life of my husband, my wife. God, I don't know what you're doing in this situation at my job. God, there's so many things I don't know, but God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk by faith. And God, I want you to know something, that my faith, my walk, my spiritual joy is not contingent upon any of this being fixed. Whatever you decide to do, God, I'm going to trust you. Did you hear that? Whatever you decide, God, I'm going to trust you. Number three, when you do this, you release God and you resist the devil. He no longer has a stronghold over your life. He doesn't have leverage. Number four, again, let me say it again. I put it down here again. Give them, give that situation over to God. Everybody hold your finger up just like this. Okay, hold your finger. You got it up there? Some of you don't have a finger. I'll give you just a moment. Wait up there. Okay, I want you to to do God, I give this situation or this person to you right now. I want you to write whatever that situation is, whatever that circumstance, just imaginary writing it right now. God, I give this situation, and if you're longhand, nobody will be able to know you and God will know. God, I give this to you. I give this person to you right now. God, I'm doing this right now. Now, the reason I would tell you to do that is so that you don't forget it. In fact, I tell you, if you're sitting in the office and all of a sudden you begin to worry about that situation, that person, just hold your finger up and start doing that. People will go, listen, some of you don't witness anyway. So just try that. That'll create a little witnessing opportunity. Somebody said, man, what's what's a, what are you doing? I saw you about three times today. Look like you're writing in the air. What are you doing? Well... You know, we we we've been we've been going through a series on being worried and fretting and 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 losing our joy because we our joy and our faith is contingent upon God fixing someone or fixing a situation. So we were just challenged every time that thought comes to mind. We just simply say, God, I, I give this person to you again. God, I you may be all day. You may be walking through Walmart. They may think you're a conductor. You know, but that's all right. Because some of us in this room, we need to break a a spiritual stronghold in our life that is stealing our joy, stealing our happiness. Your enemy knows that. Listen, think about it. Your enemy can't steal your salvation. Do you understand that? I've got four kids, and I I was speaking on Pensacola on Thursday to the chaplain, uh, a group of chaplain, young chaplain-to-be's, hospital chaplains, interns and residents. And I looked down toward the end of that meeting. We had an hour and a half, great meeting. I looked down there and I said, I love that boy at the other end of this table. The other end of that conference room, I said, I love that boy. I love my kids. There's nothing they do that would change them. They're my flesh and blood. But hey, God loves them more. And listen, nothing they could do could ever, could ever cause them to not be my child. They're my blood. They're, they're part of me. They're my sons, my daughters. You, listen, your enemy can't steal your security in Christ. That's what some of you are worried about. Settle that and be done with it and start walking by faith. We'll talk about that. But listen, your enemy can't do anything to make you not be a child of God. So what's your enemy going to attack? J-O-Y. Joy. Because the lost world looks at some of us who are filled with worry and fret and anxiety. We're depressed all the time. We are always spiritually down. You know what the lost world does? I don't want that, man. (laughs) I don't want none of that. So number four, give them or that situation to God and pray this prayer. God, I just give it to you. I give them to you. That's it. Now, let me tell you what the enemy will do, and I know I need to close. Worry will come in, and what will happen is you'll begin to get the what if thinking. Well, listen, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, and I don't have time to go there. Take every thought captive. One more principle, and then we'll close. You see, when you and I start doing that, the enemy will start what ifing. He'll play with your head. He'll play with your mind. So in Second Corinthians chapter ten verse five, I think that's the verse. Paul said, "Take every thought, every take every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ." You know what that means? Once the thought comes there, first thing you do is go. Wait a minute. That thought's not that thought's counter to what I heard preached yesterday. Maybe it's tomorrow. What I've read in the Word of God. I take that thought captive. I say, now wait a minute wait a minute, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. God loves this child more than I love this child. God's concerned about this situation more than I'm concerned about it. I'm I'm not going to walk by fear. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to resist the enemy, and he's going to run. I'm not going to run. That's it. I'm not going to think that way anymore. You take that thought captive, and you bring it under the obedience of Christ. And you begin to break that stronghold that the enemy has in your life. The enemy will come in here. what if, what if, what if? Don't go there. Sixth principle, and then I promise I'll pray. His grace will be there. Well, let me, let me tell an illustration real quickly. When we were being commissioned to go to Zimbabwe, Africa as missionaries, we were standing up there with over 180 other people getting ready to be commissioned. The uh, Keith Parks was the president of the Foreign Mission Board. Keith Parks made this statement. He said, now listen to this, stay with me and we'll close. I promise you, I promise you, i give you my word. I'll close after this. Statistically, Keith Parks said this, statistically, he said, this many in this group will um, lose a parent. She lost her dad. On the first term, the first four-year term. On the first term, this many will lose, and he gave the number, who would lose a parent while they were overseas? He said statistically, he said this many will lose a child. Well, dear friends, people in Zimbabwe, parents had one child. The child was killed on a bicycle in Harare, Zimbabwe. So we're just kidding, you know. Just this many. Will lose a spouse with well, a guy next to me, Jim Johnsonius, a dear friend of mine, would die in his first term, the second year he was in, in on the field. And some of you will lose a spouse, some of you will die. Statistically, what do you think the enemy does with that? You begin to you know what I you know what I begin to think? Oh. I'm getting ready to take four kids and my wife, and I'm getting ready to go to... I'm flying into Johannesburg, South Africa. Nelson Mandela's just been released from prison. The country could explode into all kinds of political problems. God, I'm getting ready to drive about 14 hours into a a country called Zimbabwe. I've never been to Africa. God, I'm going into a dangerous place. God, there's all kinds of diseases. There's shots. There's all kinds of illnesses. And I mean, what if begin to, listen, what if begin to attack me? What if you lost a child? Principle number six, and I promise I'll pray. His grace, are you listening? Stand up so you'll believe me. His grace, because this is what Keith Parks told us. He could see the fear in 180 missionary appointees. He could see the fear in us. He can see the thought of what if I die? What if I get sick? I got sick. What if, what if we lose a child? How could we even survive losing a child in Africa on the other side of the world? How could we survive such a thing? Thinking how could we survive the loss of a parent? How could we survive the loss of our spouse standing next to us? So all of this what if, and Keith Parks made this statement. Are you listening? He says God's grace will be there at the moment you need it. Now, I want you to listen to me because some of you in this room, you think if something happened to one of my children, if something happened in this situation, or that, if something happened and I lost somebody I love, I don't think I could live. How many of us have thought that? Every hand can go up. Principle number six is grace will be there the moment that you need it. Are you listening? And not before. He does, he does not give grace for worry. He gives grace for faith. He doesn't give grace for your worries and your fretting and your anxiety and your fears. His grace is not going to be there while you what if if, God were to, if you were to lose a child or a spouse or somebody you love. Some of you have already gone through that. His grace will be there at that moment when you need it to get you through that trial and that difficulty and not before. He does not give grace for worry. Let's pray. Our heavenly Father, we just come to you and Lord, we love you so much. We just praise you, Lord. You alone are you alone are worthy to be praised, to be given honor. And so, Lord, right now in this prayer, may we just quit worrying. May you take away the anxiety May, dear Lord, we just simple and childlike faith just simply look and say, God, I give this person, I give this situation to you. And God, may we do it as many times as we need to. God, may we learn to trust you. There are people in this room that have lost a loved one. They've lost somebody very, very dear. But God, even through this time of loss, it is your grace that gets them through. It is you whispering in that quiet inner sanctuary of their soul, everything's all right. Trust me. He's with me now. He's safe. He's all right. You'll see him again. It's God saying, she's with me now. She's all right. I'm looking at her right now. She's playing and laughing. She's all right. So God, I pray, dear Lord, that there would be such a peace that would come over us, that we would begin to break a stronghold that the enemy has over our lives. And that we would give you the glory. Now I want you to look this way. And we're still praying. I want you to hold your hands up like this. Okay, some of you this is very uncomfortable for you, but I want all of you. You see, this this when our hands are raised like this, this is uh, this is not only a, a position of praise and worship, it is also a position of surrender. What it is when we do this, we just say. I surrender. There's a song that says, I surrender all. But right now, whatever it is in your life, right now, but just right now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, but your hands raised toward the heavens, would you just, would you surrender whatever you're worrying about? Would you just give it to them right now? Our Heavenly Father, with our hands raised, dear Lord, we just give to you. We give to you this person that we love we give to you this situation or this person we cannot control. And we trust your sovereign hand. And God, we just, we we release them to you. And God, we want you to know something. Our joy, our peace, our comfort, our faith is not contingent upon what you do in that situation or with that person. We're going to love you and serve you until you call us home. And so God, we just release it to you now. Father, I pray there's one here that doesn't know you, that right now their hands are raised. They just simply say, and Lord, beyond that, I give you my life. I surrender. God, come into my heart. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin and be the Lord and the Savior of my life. And I do that right now. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.